Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Elevate Church in Perth, Australia. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps. Well, it's December. Anyone missed, in case you missed it? 13th, to be precise, and uh, I was in Bunnings the other day, and I was grateful that I was merely shopping there and not working there, because the seven and a half minutes I spent there, I, well, let's just say I didn't like Christmas carols as much after seven and a half minutes as I did when I entered the store. So uh, those of you that work in Bunnings, God bless you. Um, I pray for you. (laughs) One of the, the, the things that we as followers of Jesus... Uh, really in, need to ensure we're doing in this Christmas, in this December season, is putting Jesus at the top of the list. You know, you hear things like Christmas is all about family. And, you know, we're not Grinches. We're not, what's the guy, Bar Humbug? Who's that? Scrooge. Scrooge. Yeah, she's been a while. Uh, so we're all about family and gifts and food and all the, the good stuff. However, at the top of the list, Jesus wants to reign supreme. And so over these next just couple of weeks, we're going to increasingly focus our attention on Christmas, duh, um, and Jesus right at the epicenter of that. So you ready? New series launching. I'll get to that in a second. But uh, one, of the, one of the things we're going to try to do is, is over the next couple of weeks, just kind of look at Christmas through maybe a little bit of a different lens. Because, you know, if you've orbited the planet a few times like me, you'd be like, nah, Christmas, nah, Jesus, nah, manger, blah, 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 blah. It can become passe, overly familiar. And so hopefully we can kind of peel back the curtain a little and bring out some fresh perspectives, starting with this one. Speaking of miracles, there was a certain couple that showed up late tonight. I can't seem to shake the impression they made on me. The girl was more fatigued than a woman should ever look. All she wanted was just a place to rest, but I had nothing. The husband pleading with such desperation. What kind of businessman would take pause with that? What could I do? Bethlehem was packed. (laughs) No fault of my own. And that's where the book would have closed on the matter had it not been for my dear, dear sweet wife. The, The jab in the ribs from her finger telling me I might want to rethink my position on things. I very clearly knew my options. A, I could find them a place to sleep, or B, I could find myself a place to sleep. (laughs) Seriously, my wife, Estelle, had seen something that I had completely missed. The girl, she was pregnant. There was no way I was gonna leave her out in the cold night. But the barn, it was all I had. They were grateful. There's something 
different about them. Something. It's a quirky word, a word we simply don't use anymore. But holy. It's really the only word that fits. They say the baby that he's the Messiah. The one who's gonna, gonna change everything. Could he really be the one that we've been waiting for after all these years? All my life, this belief has uh, paralyzed me, I suppose you could say. But this, this has given me a chance to believe. Bethlehem will be waking up soon. People gonna want food in their stomach. They're gonna be registering for the census. All these people in their own little worlds, no one knowing that a savior has entered the world. Out of all the places on earth, God chose, God chose, he chose my place to bring hope into the world. I'm certainly not a very worthy man, but I am a grateful one. Estelle, I've never seen that woman happier in years. As for me, there will always be things to buy and sell, but this, all of this, this has given me a new kind of heart. A heart that believes. Oh, what a holy night. Very clever. Love that. Hey, um, having cast some aspersions on Christmas carols earlier, I do want to walk that back just a little bit. Uh, let you know that on our uh, Spotify playlist, which is called Elevate Church Current Tunes, in March it was called Elevate Church Current Tunes, but uh, then we came back out of our homes. And uh, so we're folding in some Christmas music every uh, week into that. So you can, whoa, uh, that was quick. You can go to Spotify, type in Elevate Church Current Tunes. It'll come up. It's free if you want to, you know, have a few ads, just like the radio. Um, and putting in some new Christmas music as well as some classics in there. Uh, so, yeah, good thing to have. Unlike Bunnings, you can just turn it off if it's getting too much. Skip a track. So what we're doing today is we're launching a new series called Thrill of Hope. And today, as well as next Sunday, and also 6 p.m., Christmas Eve, we're going to look at each of the three uh, weeks, uh, A Christmas Carol. And just going to unpack it a little bit, maybe, you know, see if there's more meaning behind it than, than maybe we've realized uh, in the singing of it over the years. And so today, I want to launch it with the classic... Uh, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Now, I promised I wouldn't sing it for you. I'm going to make good on that promise. You should be grateful. Uh, instead, I'll turn it over to re-familiarize us with the song. Quick refresher um, to the screens. Oh, am I supposed to sing?
nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O tidings of comfort and joy. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day a Savior, he is the Messiah, the Lord. Okay. Now, you probably are aware of this, that hello, language is dynamic. And a reminder of the fact that language is dynamic is that every year, new words are officially added to the dictionary. Um, let me give you a few of my favorites that have entered the dictionary, the English dictionary in 2020. Let me just quickly uh, show them to you, maybe introduce them to you or remind you. There's one, uh, the word, am I right, which is a lazy way of spelling, am I right? It's just like you make it like an obvious declaration, you know, Oh, it's hot today, am I right? That's, new, that's now a word. Uh, this one, GOAT, which is not new in 2020. It's this a phrase, it's an acronym, it's been around for a while, it means the greatest of all time. Michael Jordan, anybody? Hello. The GOAT, that's not referring to Michael Jordan as a farm animal. Uh, there's this one, ish, and uh, Louisa, my wife, says this one. How was your day, sweetheart? Good, good day, meh, ish. It's like, it means sort of. Uh, here's, here's one of my favorites, Sharon. This is a parent who constantly shares photos and updates of their children to social media. They are now referred to as a Sharon. So to the Sharon's in the room, we're not judging you, but just to let you know, you're a Sharon. Uh, and this one will come as no surprise, social distance is now in the dictionary. So this carol, God Rescue Mary Gentleman, was penned around 400 years ago. So if you think, well, how much has changed in the English language in one year, think how much has changed over 400 years. Which, by the way, the actual title uh, of this carol, there's a clue hidden in plain sight, the word ye. I mean, how often in 2020 did ye use the word ye in a conversation? I bet ye did not. So what about the other words? Have they changed? Because if they haven't, right, then this, uh, let me... Let me assume they haven't, that over 400 years, that the words as they were written then mean what they mean in 2020. Here's what this carol is uh, encouraging us. It is that we would rest, so God rest, you know, like just chillax, which is okay, not a bad thing. Some of you are going to need to do that on Boxing Day. Rest, uh, and, and Mary, happy. So God wants you to chillax to be happy, but actually not all of you, just the guys. It's the most sexist, misogynistic Christmas carol ever written. It's certainly not politically correct in 2020 because it only wishes rest and happiness on the gentleman. So there's that. So what I wanna do is I want us to quickly jump in the Wayback Machine and go back 400 years and look at the language as it was then, which will point and give us some clues as to what the author of this Carol was actually wanting and praying and, and encouraging for people who are followers of Jesus. Back 400 years ago, first of all, the word rest meant to make and to keep. 
Okay. The word Mary meant to be strong and to be victorious. That's why Robin Hood had merry men, not just 12 happy guys that followed him around the forest in tights shooting arrows, but that they were strong and victorious. They were called merry men. That was the meaning behind that. So then to put that spin on the carol, the, the writer is saying, I, want, I pray that God will make you and keep you strong and victorious. Hello, that's all right. Who wouldn't want that? God rest ye merry gentlemen. Which, by the way, makes perfect sense when you start to sing the next lyric. Remember, so the lyricist points to how God will achieve this. Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. And then he moves. So the what? The how? And then the why? To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. This is the, this is the Jesus story. This is, this is the Jesus story wrapped up in just the first opening lines of an incredibly familiar Christmas carol. God, I pray, will make you and keep you strong and victorious, even though you have an enemy and even though you sometimes give in to him, because God has sent you a solution. God has sent you a way out, a way beyond, a way forward, and that solution is his son, Jesus. So here's this big idea uh, wrapped up from the, from the Bible, from the Jesus story in a song. And then it comes with even more encouragement and promises. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. You'll be happy to know that it's only the first two words that have changed. We don't say, oh, well, we do, but not in this way. Sometimes you go, oh, whoa. Tidings, that sort of means like message. We don't say tidings anymore, I don't think so. But comfort and joy mean now what they meant then. So now we've got this song and this lyricist who's stringing a prayer together for you and for us. So when we're singing this overly familiar song, we, we, we can be reminded that this is a prayer, a prayer that's a reminder of a promise. And, and, and all of a sudden, hopefully, there's some greater revelation that comes with that. God make you and keep you strong and victorious despite having an enemy because God sent His Son Jesus into the world. And as the result of you putting your faith in Jesus, despite having an enemy, you can experience comfort and joy. Pretty good. I think I'm done. I'll see you next week. I want to unpack this comfort thing just a little bit more. While, look, while we're all here, if you've got your Bible app, how about you or your, or your paper Bible, ping it open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, in our online experience, I introduced, uh, this is written by Paul. It was one of the letters he wrote. Uh, Paul was like an Elon Musk character for the early church. He kind of just launched stuff, launched churches here and there. This was one he launched in a place called Corinth. He typically launched them in port cities, which was not only from him having access to them, but also just strategically. That's where the, the, the most influence and populations were. And so he wanted the, the, the good news of, this, of Jesus, the Messiah, being uh, sent into the world to spread as fast as possible. So he would launch churches more often than not in these significant 
cities in the time. And then he would raise up a protege, hand that church over to them and, and move on and launch some more. And he would keep in touch with them by writing letters. And we have, thankfully, access to some of those letters today. This was the second letter, hence the two, to the church in Corinth that Paul wrote. I read from the New Living Translation. And Paul wrote encouragement to them, and this is true for us today. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. Now, we're all friends here, so let's, let's have some real talk. I know something about you and you know something about you, and by the way, this is also true of me, that we don't always go to God when we're in pain, when we're in trouble, as our first source of comfort. I mean, let's just be real. Because if we did, we wouldn't have such things as comfort food, retail therapy, we wouldn't have people struggling with addictions to substances and alcohol because those things exist and those things can be our default. Those things can be our first source because often they're easier, more obvious, feel more tangible, more accessible. But the problem is, is that they are all inferior and they all have a dark side. They will maybe mask the pain in the short term, but they will not heal you of the pain in the long term. And secondly, they may actually set you up for experiencing even more pain down the road. And by the way, in many cases, causing the people around you to experience pain because you haven't chosen God as your source of comfort. Now, I'm not judging you when I say this because this idea of going to God as the source of all comfort trusting that He will comfort us in all our troubles, that hinges entirely on God's nature and God's character. You know, there's a stereotype of God that exists in, uh, certainly in Western culture, that God's out to get you, that God's keeping a list of the things you've done wrong and said wrong, and when He gets near you, He's gonna stick it to you. He's gonna read out the list, then He's gonna read out the punishment. You did the crime, now you're going to do the time. That's an image that some people have of God. And yet Paul's actually setting God up as being something very different. He's saying that God is merciful. And if that's true, then why wouldn't we go to God first and every time for our comfort? See, this is what we hope for in a good dentist. You've got some form of tooth pain. And you may even be the reason you have some form of tooth pain. You have not been flossing. You have been eating too many sugary treats, drinking too many sugary drinks, and you know it. And you, so you go in the dentist with this horrendous toothache. You do not want that dentist as their first course of action to be giving you a lecture. Right, so tell me, have we been flossing? What's one been eating and drinking in these last six months since your last visit? Well, of course you've got tooth pain. Titch, titch, titch. Off you go, change your ways, and then maybe come back. You don't want that. You want fix the pain, dentist. 
get to the source of the pain and fix it. And by the way, if they are willing to do that, and if they're able to do that, you'll probably be willing to put up with a little bit of a lecture on your way out. And by the way, the dentist, that would be responsible of them to say, all right, we've fixed the source of the pain. Now, let me tell you something that will keep you having to come back so often with the same thing. We would hope that in a good dentist, we would hope for that in God, that God, when we are in pain, if we go to Him because He's merciful, that His first response is to get to the source of the pain. And I'll given in love to hopefully help you and I not keep coming back with the same recurring problems. So this is an incredible promise, incredible reminder that God is the source of all comfort and that He comforts us in all our troubles. Notice then there's an ellipsis. This is verse 3, but it's not the end of the sentence. So Paul continues, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. That when they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. That there's a purpose in our pain, that God can actually take what we've experienced, the pain, as well as the comfort we've experienced, and God can actually use us. So it's not us giving comfort, it's us being used by God to pass on His comfort. And we're better qualified because of what we've gone through ourselves. I remember uh, about 15 years ago-ish, 2020 word, if there was social media there, I would have shared it at the time. Um, uh, doing my uh, first ever marathon. So Perth Marathon done here. Not one of the big city marathons. You know, there's not a fleet of, uh, of uh, drug-enhanced African runners turn up. Whoa, did I really say that? Oh, dear me. Just a few, not all of them. Mombi, settle down. Uh, it's a, it's a small race. You start over here in Burswood. You kind of run out for 21 kilometers and you turn around down the freeway, very picturesque, turn around and come back. No spectators. No, it is, I mean, marathon running, even in the best setting, is not a very exciting spectator sport for friends and family. However, my beautiful wife and her sister and one of my buddies, they thought they would, you know, give me a little bit of a, a leg up as much as they could. So they had the course map and they would sort of drive to the 5K intervals. And then again, still not very exciting for them, I'm sure, but I appreciated it at 5K. And then I'd be shuffling along past them and they'd go, go Ma, go Ma, go Ma. And you got to coach spectators too in endurance sports. Don't say, keep going, because I already have that plan in mind. Say other stuff. Say, Say, you're looking strong. You, boy, you're looking good. Fresh. Man, you're looking better than everyone else. That's Just like, be creative. Keep going. Wow. Wow. That has changed my race strategy entirely. Keep going. Thank you. Boy, so helpful. Trained for six months, and now I didn't realize that part of the way to make the finish line is to keep going. Anyway, they didn't say that. And uh, so now, if you've never done a marathon, uh, let me explain something. And, and I hadn't done a marathon up to that point. So I'd heard the, the stories from people who've done marathons. I read the books and the articles that quite universally, particularly for your first marathon, it's described as a race of two halves. Now, it's 42 kilometers or 26 miles. 
It's described as a race of two halves. The first half, Peter, you know this, the first half is 32 kilometers, and the second half is the final 10 kilometers. So it's not half distance, but it's half in terms of there's one experience, and then there's a completely contrasting experience. That typically, quite universally, around the 32-kilometer mark, you will do what marathon runners call, you will hit the wall. Or, some people like to put a bit more of a spin on it, you will feel a piano drop on your back. And, uh, and look, I'd, read, look, I'd done the training, you know, I'd followed a professional program, I hadn't missed a session, yay, gold stars all the way for me. Turned up to the start line, fresh, prepared, and I'm thinking, look, I'm a bit naive. Sometimes when you go into something that's super challenging, naivety is actually a bit of a superpower, because you're not scared of anything, because you don't even have a clue what's going to happen. Just like, ignorance is bliss, keep going, left foot, right foot, okay, I got this. And good, you know, 5K, the fan bams, yeah, you look good, Mark, look strong, 10K, 15K, boom, 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 boom. The buddy of mine who was, who was uh, traveling with Louie and her sister, he's done several marathons. In fact, he did some of the training with me to, you know, just to keep me company and so on. And he knew enough to make sure that he was placed at the 32-kilometer marker with his running clothing on. Which as I'm approaching from a distance, I could see him and I'm thinking to myself, he's changed clothes. You, you have a lot of time to think in a marathon, by the way. He's changed clothes. How odd. He's wearing running clothes. That's strange. And so I come shuffling up. And by the time I get to him, he says to me, do you want me to run the last 10 kilometers with you? Am I going to lie? I went, <laughs> I literally, I literally became a hot mess in an instant. The piano fell on my back, and he ran alongside me the last 10 kilometers. Now, would I have got to the finish line using my strategy, keep going, without my buddy? Probably. I'm pretty determined. But it was made a whole lot easier by my friend saying, I know what you're going through, and I'm going to just come alongside you and I'm going to accompany you all the way to the finish line. And he knew that. See, you couldn't have done that. I mean, you could have put up on a push bike and still be like, you know, I'll ride next to you. But, but you couldn't have done that unless you've done a marathon. It gave him this heightened level of understanding under the hood of what I was actually going through. And that's the thing. The pain you've experienced in your past, which God has comforted you, has actually better qualified you to offer a heightened level of comfort to other people because you have a heightened understanding of what they... It doesn't mean you can't comfort people if you don't understand what they're going through, but it just means you won't have that... Just, just you don't have the depth of understanding of what they're going through. I mean, as a rule, when someone is sharing some pain with me that I've never experienced, I don't say, I'm, it's a rule. I don't say, oh, sure, yeah, I understand. I say, I, I literally don't understand. But I 100% believe that it's painful for you. And what I often, you know, comfort and, and pray and so on and so forth, but what I often look for is look for somebody else who's got that in their backstory and say, let me, and, 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 and they've experienced some breakthroughs in that. Let me introduce you to somebody. And then, boom, God does a level of magic that 
can't be done by someone that doesn't have that. And so for us, this is a reminder that we are meant to be a pipeline of comfort, not just a bucket that collects comfort. This is very much an extension of our Naked and Afraid series that we taught last month of moving beyond the fence, experiencing God's comfort and joy for ourselves, yes, and being used by God to pass it on to others, to influence others, like our friend Tom taught last week, to comfort and encourage others. So that's that. God rest ye merry gentle people and bring you comfort and joy. Amen. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love you to join us for one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information about our great Elevate Kids and Elevate Youth environments, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app.